Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome, listeners, to our Neil Blomkamp retrospective series. I am your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan over here from Chicago. And this will be our final retrospective series for 2017. Not the final a review of 2017. We have one more after this for Christmas, but then yes. that'll be it for 2017. Yes, we will have our Christmas special coming out on Christmas, December 25th. That will be It's a Wonderful Life. So make sure to stay tuned for that. But like I said, this will be the last retrospective series we're doing. And we are taking a look at some, well, visionary science fiction films from, I guess you could say, the relatively new director, Neil Blomkamp. The first installment, as you probably know since you're listening to it, District 9. This is actually Neil Blomkamp's first big screen directorial debut. He had done some short films prior to this, but he kind of received some notoriety for a couple of the short films, and I know one of them was, I think it's called Halo Landfall. And he was actually going to do a Halo film with Peter Jackson. That's why you see Peter Jackson attached to this. But that Halo film has fallen through and it's pretty much dead now, essentially. So that is why they started thinking of other science fiction ideas they could adapt to the big screen together. And in 2006, Neil Blomkamp put out a short film called Alive in Joburg, and it's basically a very small version of District 9. Uh, it's not as fleshed out. It's about six minutes long. I would, I, I can't really recommend the short film. I mean, yeah, it's only six minutes, but like I said, it's pretty much a very watered down short version of District 9. It's not really worth your six minutes. Alan, did you watch it? I did not. No, I knew that he had short films, but I haven't seen any of them. In fact, the only Neil Blumkamp movie I had seen up until we decided to do this retrospective would have been Elysium. And I watched that one time back when it was released in theaters. I actually saw it at the drive-in with my uncle. Oh. So that is so far in this retrospective, that's the only Neil Blumkamp movie I've ever seen. And so I'm kind of relatively new to this whole thing. But I've definitely heard the name before and I've heard District 9 before. And but I didn't know up until up until this review that he had also done short films as well. Yes, and I guess I'm not really new to Neil Blomkamp. I have seen all of his major films, seen none of his short stuff uh, before this retrospective series. The first time that I saw District Nine was actually not that long after it came out, I believe. Uh, in 2009, this movie debuted August 14th, 2009, so Neil Blomkamp has not even been on the big directorial scene for 10 years, that's why I said he's relatively new, and like I said, I saw it, I would have been 14 years old, so far too young to see a rated R movie, but I actually saw a heavily edited uh, version of this. So heavily edited, and I didn't I didn't really remember anything about it, but I'd probably say about right. a year or so back, I bought the Neil Blomkamp box set, 
and it was a digibook box set with all three of his films really nice cover art really nice um material in the digibook and the both all three discs are packed with bonus features and there's great artwork inside of the digibook with lots of insightful material i highly recommend picking it up uh if you are interested in the films because it's a fairly cheap box set to get so i bought that about a year ago and it really wasn't very expensive and i did go back and watch all of his films in release order so this I'm going to say this is technically my second time. Well, not technically. It's technically my third time, but right. it's basically my second time watching it because the first time doesn't count really long time ago. And like I said, heavily edited. Right. So Neil Blomkamp did not write this movie alone. He wrote it with Terry Tatchell, I believe is how her name is pronounced. And she has pretty much only worked with Neil Blomkamp. Everything she's done is pretty much his stuff. So, and this movie stars uh, Charlotte Copley, who is the main character, Wickus, and he has been longtime friends with Neil Blomkamp, both from South Africa, Uh, David James, and Jason Cope. And I know there's more than just those three, but they're, I don't know, their pictures weren't on IMDb, and I didn't remember their names, so I really wasn't sure who to include. But you get it. So, And like I said, this movie is produced by Peter Jackson, who at this point was, well, at this point is a massive name in the film industry because of his massive acclaim from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Right. And I remember when District 9 first started, too, and it had uh, Peter Jackson's name on it. I had no idea. And I was like, whoa, I it caught me off guard because I didn't know that he was tied to this movie in any way. So this is your first time seeing District 9? Yeah, this is the first time. Okay. And I do remember around when District 9 came out, there was a lot of buzz about yeah, it. Yeah, there was. A lot of buzz, a big marketing campaign. I remember lots of people were talking about it. Um, on an episode of Parks and Rec, I remember they were talking about, oh, I rented District 9 tonight. You want to come over and watch it? So right. it was pretty big. And I, too, had forgotten Peter Jackson was a part of it. So I was really surprised also when uh, I popped it on and like one of the first thing you see is Peter Jackson presents. And I was like, Oh wow. I, I forgot yeah. Peter Jackson was a part of this. And yeah. I, if I'm correct, you don't even see Neil Blomkamp's name till the end credits. From what I remember, the Peter Jackson was front and center. Yes. It very much was Peter Jackson was the very first thing that you see in this movie. And I'm sure they did that to kind of show audiences that, it's that they're not seeing some random movie and that there's a, a very familiar name tied to it, which is very fair because Neil Blumkamp up until this point has only done short films and the general audience is not going to go out and watch short films Exactly. Um, that, that I can think of. So I'm sure it's a smart move for audiences not to just get up and walk out or something like that or to not like the movie because it's not tied to somebody that they don't know. It kind of more of that safety kind of thing. Yes, Peter Jackson is the big draw for this film. Yes. And and the trailers and everything, they're marketing this as kind of a Peter Jackson movie in a way, even though he did not direct or write. He was just in a producerial capacity, which still is important. But I would say this is more of Neil Blancamp's baby because he did do that short film three years prior to the release of this movie. Well, it was. It is fairly well received on IMDb. It has an eight on IMDb, which is 
pretty good, pretty impressive. So in this movie, it has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's, that is very certified fresh. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy for a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is a pretty impressive achievement. Right. And the audience score is 82%, which is still impressive also. Oh, yeah. Well, this movie was pretty well received by the Academy. This movie was nominated for four Oscars and big ones also. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did not win any of them. It was nominated for Best Picture, and that award was going towards Peter Jackson. Neil Blomkamp did not have any uh, right. credit for Best Picture. But he was not – Neil Blomkamp was nominated along with Terry Thatchell for Best Writing. The film was also nominated for Best Film Editing and Best Visual Effects. I can't exactly remember what was the best picture in 2009. 2000, well, yeah, for the 2009 films, which would have been 2010 when they were awarded, it would have been The Hurt Locker that won that won best picture. Okay. But it's kind of interesting because it was also put up against uh, Avatar, The Blind Side, and Up as all for best picture nominees for 2010. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I do own The Hurt Locker. I've only seen it once. That's a film by actually by James Cameron's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she did Zero Dark Thirty also. I didn't really like The Hurt Locker, so can't really yeah. say I'm too, too positive that it won out of those other films. Right. I haven't seen The Hurt Locker. I've definitely heard of it, and I've heard a lot of people talking about it, but I personally have not watched it myself. Well, the box office for this movie, it, this movie had a small budget of $30 million. But for any other film, especially one with this many nominations and kind of on this marketing scale and release scale, it's a small budget. It is, yeah. Domestically, it did great, $115.6 million, uh, foreign $95 million for a worldwide total of $210.8 million. So, yeah, it made back its budget tenfold. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it made a ton of money, and it kind of put Neil Blumkamp on the map just from his first film alone, which oh, yeah. is pretty rare. That's that's true. That's, that's pretty rare. Um, I can only think of, like, M. Night Shyamalan uh, with The Sixth Sense. That really propelled him to popularity. It only happens once in a while that a director becomes pretty regarded and popular. Well, the opening weekend, it did great. It made back its budget and then some with a $37 million opening weekend. It was number one. Uh, number two was G.I. Joe, Rise, The Rise of Cobra. That was in its second week. Uh, the Time Traveler's Wife was number three in its first week. Um, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince was number seven at the box office. And that had been out for five weeks. Uh, Ponyo was number one. That was kind of a uh, Disney-ish sort of movie. That's Studio Ghibli right there, too. So that, that's going to get a lot of money. Yeah, that was at number one. That uh, came in at number nine at the box office. So as you can see, the competition was pretty slim. Right. All this other stuff had been out for a while. I do see The Hurt Locker was actually number 21 at the box office, and it had been out for uh, about two months. Wow. Yeah, so it came out at a very good time where all the big movies had already kind of made their way through for, for the audience. Yes, which is always optimal. That's what you want. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what you want. So it not only it just kind of it was a perfect situation for Neil Blomkamp to have his movie released and then have be recognized for all this. Yes. 
Well, this is actually the biggest Blancamp opening weekend ever. And it is the largest domestic grossing Blancamp movie. Uh, it is the second largest uh, foreign grossing Blancamp movie. Uh, Elysium grossed more in the foreign market. And it's the second largest uh, worldwide gross. Uh, Elysium, the sequel. Not the sequel. Uh, Blancamp's follow-up film. Uh, that that did gross more also. And just a fun fact, this movie was banned in Nigeria because oh. uh, of how it portrayed the Nigerians in this movie as these yeah. kind of cannibal criminals, I guess, just low-life. Yeah, I, can, I can understand that. <laughs> so that ticked the Nigerians off. They're like, hey, don't show this movie here. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what I gathered, this movie was kind of loosely based off of District 6, which was... Kind of a living area in Cape Town, South Africa. Obviously, this movie is dealing with the issue of apartheid, which uh, plagued South Africa for a long, long time. Right. And uh, Cape Town, South Africa, there were 60,000 inhabitants in District 6, and they were forcibly removed to what were called the Cape Flats, which were a pretty cruddy area. Uh, That was during apartheid. And this is what this movie deals with. These aliens are in District 9, and they're being evicted to District 10. So this movie clearly does deal with kind of the outsider or the other, uh, the different person thing. And there's pretty major apartheid um, similarities, and it deals with that issue. And we'll get more into that for the review. Right. And I definitely do remember hearing about this situation back in 2009, but I guess I didn't really connect the dots, probably because I forgot about it when I watched this movie. And so I had a bit of a different view on it than maybe what you did, maybe even knowing this situation. So I'd be a be cause for interesting conversation. Yes. I have two dear friends from South Africa, actually. I know some people from South Africa. And I do know about the apartheid, what's been going on. And actually, currently, South Africa is in kind of turmoil with some of their elected leaders. Uh, So kind of the stuff I was seeing in the beginning of this, I'm like, well, that doesn't look too far off from what's happening today, sadly, with their uh, political and social environment. Right. But before we get into the plot summary for the movie, I want to tell you, listeners, that we are going into spoiler territory. So if you haven't seen District 9 and you don't want it to be spoiled, then go ahead and hit pause right now. Go ahead and watch the movie, and then come back and hit play. It'll pick up right where you left off. But you have been warned that we are about to spoil District 9. Wickets Van D. Murray, don't know if I said that right. Quite a name. <laughs> Quite a name. Works for MNU, not the college that our friend goes to and my family and teaches at. There's a college that we both know called Mid-American Nazarene University, and... When I heard M&U, I was like, huh, interesting, because their initials is M&U. I did think that was funny also. Well, M&U in the movie stands for the Multinational United. Kind of sounds like a United Nations almost thing, Um, except I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be kind of like a relations unit between the different races and ethnicities in South Africa. Wickes and his company are tasked with relocating, or more so evicting, a race of aliens derogatorily referred to as prawns because of their similarities resembling 
crustaceans. The prawn ship has been hovering over Johannesburg, South Africa for the past 27 years. The prawns are treated like scum and live in the slum of District 9, an extremely segregated ghetto with a big border wall and shanty towns. The over 1 million prawns are being relocated to District 10 in order to get them away from the humans who despise them. During the process, Wickus opens a canister that he shouldn't have, which sprays black goo all over his face. The black goo is fuel that the alien Christopher Johnson has been collecting to fuel the mothership and escape their captivity on Earth. The goo causes Wickus's metamorphosis into a prawn. Hunted by the government and ostracized by his family, Wickus must help Johnson return to the mothership so that Robinson can come back to Earth to return Wickus to his humanity and save the alien race. So, something that I was intrigued by and forgot about is this movie is very uh, kind of, it's a documentary, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, so it, this movie kind of flops between documentary and like, like a, kind of a movie type of sense, but the opening few minutes of this movie was a documentary. And in fact, uh, it kind of felt like a summary of a documentary that we were seeing. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, oh, is this just the exposition before we hop into the real story? And it kind of is. This movie kind of muddies the water between what's documentary and what's not a documentary. And I'll talk about that a little bit later because in this first half, it's not too bad. But I think later on, it kind of gets a bit confusing. Yeah. But it is very interesting because it, this movie, there's there's one thing that I've noticed between the two Blumkamp movies that I've seen, this one in Elysium now, it has to be Blumkamp's sense of style, which is that dystopian future. And there's, and if there's one thing I love about any of his movies is that sense of style, which this movie is definitely going for a realistic sense, and it works pretty well, I would say. In fact, very well. And so this opening with this documentary style, it really, really works because it kind of gets you into the head of these humans and what their mindset is against these this alien race that kind of just showed up 27 years ago, and now they're being moved. It does a very good job of really setting a foundation for the rest of the movie, um, without being like knocking you over the head or spoon feeding you with exposition. Right. I really didn't think of it that way. And it shows you the plight of the prawns. I honestly felt for them because the treatment is just, and it's hard to use the word inhumane because they're not human, but clearly they're highly intelligent beings that are actually more intelligent yeah. than humans because of their space technology and space travel. So they're, they're more intelligent than humans, but they're treated like animals. And the humans, it really sets you against the humans. But it also kind of conflicts you because Wickus is just this really simple guy. Right. Uh, I mean, Wickus is just so simple and pretty likable, but he also seems kind of like this classic, arrogant white guy who seems nice, but is a racist and... We, we've seen this depiction in books and movies before where, you know, they don't think they're doing anything wrong and they think they have the right to like lord their power over others. And it's right. just really interesting because then we see even the black population is against the prawns. And it's like, okay, you were in apartheid and treated horribly for so long. And now you're just going to turn right around and do it on these others, you know? Right. But it's a good setup. Yeah, it is a good setup. And I love how the aliens are introduced into the story, how they talk about how the ship just showed up one day 
and they have no idea where kind of where it came from. And so the humans kind of looked at it and studied it for a while and then eventually decided to go break in, essentially. And when they broke in, they more or less saved the the aliens that were there because they were, as Mui puts it, they were extremely malnourished when the humans broke in and found them. And like they were kind of like trapped in their ship. And so if it weren't for the humans, then the aliens that came wouldn't have, would probably have just died in their ship. And then, of course, they're moved to District 9. And then seeing it now, um, 27 years later, I love how this movie is so after the fact that the aliens are already here. That's not the important part, you know. The important part is what's happening during the segregation and migrating them, the, the aliens, to District 10. And I found that to be super interesting because we already have plenty of movies where the aliens come and, you know, take over the Earth or whatever. But this one is different. This is after the fact. They've already come and they're not here to, like, take over the Earth. They're just, we don't even know why they're here, you know. And I thought it was very, very interesting. And one of the things I picked up almost immediately was segregation. I know that here in America, back in... Uh, the early 90s, early to mid 90s, we had a big segregation issue after the not white folk had gotten their freedom and they were recognized by the government as full citizens. The society kind of kept them segregated. They had their own schools. They had their own places in the restaurant. They had their own Riki fountains. And usually they were just not the greatest. They're not kept out very well because no one really took care of them. And so this is kind of also being shown in the movie where you had two different signs, one for humans and then one for aliens. And I thought that was very, very interesting to see how we're treating these aliens who are very human-like, by the way, as humans, but we're still segregating them because we think us humans are better than them, essentially. Yes. And like you said, the United States has experienced this also, even though the slaves yeah. were freed after the Civil War they were always segregated. The slogan was like separate but equal. So yeah, this is not just, you know, germane to South Africa. This was also in experienced in the States. And what it also made me think of was during World War II, I think this is something a lot of United States citizens forget, is that during World War II, a majority of the Japanese population which were no which were not Japanese they were Americans were forcibly evicted from their homes and moved to I don't know they're not concentration camps of course but they were just right I don't know kind of like labor camps or just I don't know what the proper term is at the moment but that was a really dark spot on American history I believe they were called internment camps yeah and this was before the real big civil rights movement broke out kind of, I guess, in the 50s. Um, there was some things going on in the 40s, but this was in the 40s. So Japanese Americans, American citizens were evicted from their home yeah. and put in these camps during, which is really bad that this happened. So this that's what that also made me think of where they're kind of evicting these uh, aliens and moving them to District 10. Right. I'm like, well, that's also pretty similar to what happened in the United States. Right. And it's also interesting, too, how whenever Wickes goes up to evict the aliens, he's essentially forcing them to sign the paper. Because in the earlier and before the scene begins, when they first enter District 9, it's just mentioned that the eviction notices means they have 24 hours to leave. And he's essentially going up to the aliens and just being like, okay, you have to sign this because you it's your eviction notice. You have to leave, essentially. He's not giving them any choice. No, they're absolutely not given any choice. And... 
like you mentioned just a little bit earlier, I really like how this movie kind of turns the formula on its head, whereas we've really never seen a movie like this, I would say, where because we've seen tons of movies where the aliens come and humanity's afraid because the super advanced civilization is going to conquer us and destroy the world, whereas this super advanced civilization comes, but they're sick and incapacitated, so humanity basically domineers them and you know, just kind of enslaves them, like, and traps them like that. I'm like, that's really interesting. It's not like what happened if the aliens come. Right. Well, you don't normally think that we would kind of, you know, control them like that. It's a, it's a pretty unique concept. And we've seen uh, even, like, big-name directors like Ridley Scott with Prometheus. When, you know, Wiccas, this black goo infects him, then it starts to change him. Really, Scott borrowed that, and right. when the black goo touches, he drinks the black goo on that one thing, then that starts to change him. And even with these like big ships hovering over places, we saw uh, Denis Villeneuve kind of do something like that with Arrival, where they have to go in there. We've seen it with signs. So I guess some of that is not totally original, but it is interesting that some of that has been kind of cribbed. Uh, after District 9 and still used. Right. And I one other thing I can kind of compare this movie to as well is this is Neil Blumkamp's Reservoir Dogs, hmm. where it's very much after the fact, but it's the after the fact that's the most interesting part of this movie. Because in Reservoir Dogs, for those who haven't seen it, the story is centered around a robbery of a jewelry store that goes wrong, but you never really see the robbery. You see everything at, either before or after the fact that it happened. And that's what the movie is centered around. If you haven't seen it, I very much recommend it. It's very, very interesting. I think this movie is pretty similar to that in the vein of it's so after the fact. What happened before is not the most important part of what the movie's trying to say. What's happening now with the aliens being migrated to District 10 and being evicted, that's the important part. That's what the movie's trying to talk about. I do want to kind of give kudos to the technical side. I think the CGI, for the most part, looks great, especially for 2009. There are some stinkers in here where the cgi clearly looks very dated or very unrealistic yeah for 2009 it looks very very good like the ship always in the distance when you're outside sometimes the aliens they look pretty good but i think the aliens are probably the weakest link for this movie where they where they have enough they have really good emotion and there's one key scene that really shows that and I'll, we'll talk yeah. about when we get there. But yeah, I think you're right. Some of the CGI in this is pretty dated. Some shots of the aliens are incredible, I would say. But some are, ooh, okay. I, I would probably say the worst part of the CGI is the mech suit. Yeah. Uh, when we first see that, it looks incredibly fake. And towards the end, some shots do look fairly, fairly well done, whereas others are like, eh. It was Peter Jackson had worked with Weta Digital, which has done Avatar and The Lord of the right. Rings, and it's done amazing work. They approached Weta Digital to do this, but they were busy with Avatar, so they got some other like Canadian-run company to do CGI. Right, and it's kind of interesting, too, because Avatar came out this same year, if I'm not mistaken. The Blu-ray copy looks great. So if you're going to watch this movie, I recommend picking up the Blu-ray copy because that'll probably give you the best picture quality and sound for the whole thing. But as I was saying, this movie can be pretty brutal with some of the concepts that it deals with. Uh, We're already dealing with apartheid in a new way, kind of, but it's still very familiar and similar. 
But then we also see these prawns and aliens are so highly like regulated. They're like, this is illegal. That's illegal. They need a permit for that. And there's like a limit on how many children they can have, if any. And we see Wickes uh, perform and he calls it an abortion on a prawn egg. And they're laughing about it. They're having a good time. He's like, oh, it's not a big deal. Right. He's like, oh, this is, they can't be doing this. Um, so the humans are involved in kind of involved in like eugenics in a way and population control. So there's some pretty dark themes and it really sets us against the humans. I'm like, okay, these humans are bad people. So I'm on the side of the aliens right now. Oh yeah, definitely. And at one point in the movie, I said that it's not the aliens who are the aliens in the story. It's the humans. The humans are the aliens in the story. Good point. Um, and I think, I think I'll get to that when we get there in the story and I'll explain what I was thinking, but, but yeah, you're totally right there. This opening scene with Wickus and his crew kind of going in and evicting all the aliens and everything. It's very cruel. And Wickus as a character, he's doing his job, but he's acting like he likes doing his job, which I'm sure he does, which is the scariest part because the aliens are very heavily monitored. And there are many times where the movie cuts to like a camera where it's monitoring it. And at one point when we meet Christopher, I believe is his name, who has the kid who helps, or Wickes helps escape, he said, he asked him to give a permit for that child. And it's very clear that this yeah. District 9 is very heavily regulated. And it's to a point where it's just unfair because the it's hard for the aliens to survive because they're just so regulated. And that's why it's so slummy and kind of and really gross and everything in District 9. Well, and yeah, earlier I used the word ghetto because this isn't too, you know, dissimilar from the treatment of the Jews by the Nazis in a way. Uh, right. They rounded them up. They put them in ghettos, give them the worst conditions. You know, they can just be murdered on demand. These population controls, license for this and that, abortions, uh, it's pretty bad. So it's a pretty bad situation. Yeah. So they're clearly drawing on real life, like real life situations. But also, I think this is a fantastic instance of uh, world building. Just great world building. Oh, yeah. It, if there's one thing that has never been seen before, it's this. It's This movie is very Mad Max-esque. Mm -hmm. Um, if you've seen the original Mad Max, at this time, Fury Road hadn't been released. That won't be released for another yeah, few years. But we did have the Mad Max trilogy back from uh, early 70s and 80s. And this is very Mad Max-esque. I kind of compared it to a little bit of Blade Runner in it, where we have all that more futuristic technology. Um, whereas Mad Max is very much set in the desert. So yeah, th it's very interesting seeing this kind of, seeing both of those styles, Blade Runner and Mad Max kind of come together. And, and with aliens, it's a very, very interesting style. And I love how this movie looks. I think that one criticism I have is I kind of wanted a bit more from the movie to show me its world because it looks very, very interesting. But I kind of wanted to see more and get into it more. The District 9 doesn't really feel as much as a character as I think it should have. But that also doesn't mean that it's not really good looking because this movie looks mm -hmm. great. I do think they did a great job of building District 9, though. Because mm -hmm. they spend quite a bit of time in the beginning, like moving through it, and then towards the end, like chasing and running through it. It does feel like a legitimate place right. in, you know, right outside Johannesburg. And yeah, I do think that they really bring you into that world uh, really well. So 
I don't think I really had any issues yeah. with it. I was incredibly impressed with it. And these different types of biological weapons that only can interact with the biology of the aliens is really cool. It's a really, uh, I think it's an incredible blend of like real life and science fiction. And I think that's why it set Neil Blomkamp yeah. on the map after this, because then everybody was like, okay, what's this guy going to come up with next? Right. And that's one of the things I love too, is that we have, it's actually a, a collaboration of just like the present time and then futuristic ish technology that isn't made by humans. The aliens come with their technology and it's very futuristic, but everything that the humans, everything that the humans use is very modern. And it's kind of interesting to see that, that kind of dynamic just between the two um, in this movie. Yeah. And I really do like this film also has a moral to it that, you know, we kind of yeah. see pride goes before the fall. Don't like despise other people because they're different than you or they look different or they're from a different place. You would think that would be kind of a basic lesson, but sadly it's not to a lot of people. But I really do think the movie does a really good job of teaching these like moral lessons. Like, cause these humans are so cocky. They do not understand these aliens really at all, but they think they do. And then it comes back to bite them and Wiccas really gets his life turned upside down. And then now he lives in the perspective of one of the prawns. And his world is over just like theirs is. And he learns to uh, Christopher Robin. He was a uh, Christopher Johnson, not Christopher Robin <laughs> from Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Christopher yeah. Johnson, which yeah. I thought that was really weird. They gave all the aliens human names, I'm pretty sure. That's the only thing that makes sense. I'm like, that's a human name. I guess they just gave them all names to make everything easier. But it right. it really does come back to bite them and pride before the fall. And it's... It, it really does have a lot of good moral lessons in it that are not preachy. Now, I do kind of want to talk about the situation with the aliens okay. real quick. Um, because about halfway through this opening act, I caught something that I thought was really interesting. And in this opening act, I said that maybe nobody is in the right in this situation. Because we have Wiccas coming in and he's having to evict all of these aliens. And the reason for that is for like population control and things like that but at the same time the aliens are also creating weapons and they have weapons that only work with the aliens and a human cannot operate it and so humans are also kind of scared that that's going to come back and bite them so they decide to move on move on and confiscate those weapons because they consider those to be illegal and it's very clear that these aliens are very dangerous if provoked because earlier in the scene when when they're evicting people or evicting the aliens, one of the aliens, we see, actually a few of them, we, get, we see them get mad, and one of them kicks a guy or rips his arm off, and they like fly through buildings and things like that. So it's very clear that these aliens are can be very dangerous if provoked, but at the same time, the humans are very immoral with their actions by moving them mm -hmm. elsewhere and trying to control them, essentially, even though they're not causing too much harm being in District 9. So it's it's kind of interesting. I mean, it makes sense, a lot more sense that the aliens are the way they are. They're trying to build these weapons, maybe even protect themselves for in the future or something like that. But it's it kind of has this gray area where it's like, okay, well, who really is right in this situation, right. you know? It, I, I saw that same thing, too, because at one point they set you against the humans and you're for the prawns. But then you see the prawns right. get in brutally violent. 
It's not like, oh, the human got shot. They were just going to remove the bullet or he's okay. No, they're ripping limbs off and the weapons they use just totally rip people apart and destroy them. So this movie is hard R with its language and brutal graphic violence. I was like, holy cow, these people are just blowing up. You see a lot of humans explode in this movie, just kind of vaporize. It's crazy. So, yeah, I do agree because at one point you're like, oh, these poor prawns. But then you see them just, you know, ripping these humans from limb to limb. And it's like, okay, that's not an, that's not okay. That's not an okay response. Yeah. So, yeah, there is this really gray area. So it makes sense from both sides to act the way they do. But, yeah. I like how Wiccas is the bridge. He's the bridge, bridging perspective. Because we see the uppity, you know, racist humans and then we see the lowly prawns that are really just trying to do their best and figure out how to make their way in this situation. And then we see Wiccas right. uh, bridge that gap because we see his metamorphosis from the uppity su- supremacy human to a lowly despised hunted prawn. And it's a really cool journey. And evolution or de-evolution? <laughs> yeah, we, and we do to get to see uh, Wiccas kind of experience what he's been doing because he's slowly turning into an alien and so the first thing that the government does is they want to test him and they get him to test these alien weapons and and i love this scene where he's where they're forcing him to test these weapons and the whole time he's screaming for his wife you know and that he wants to just get out of there and at first it's nothing big they're just kind of blowing up random objects to test that the weapon works and then it starts going a bit too far when they when they start holding up, like, I think alien limbs or stuff like that, and then they pull in like a live mm-hmm. alien from District Nine. They put him up there, and he's like, "No, no, I'm not going to do this." And then he's forced to do it. And it's very clear that his mindset on this entire issue is what needs to change mm-hmm. for him, because he's slowly turning into one of the aliens. And it's very, very interesting to see his character change. It was a drastic unmistakable change of his character from beginning to end there really is so there's a great i'd say there's a great character arc oh yeah there's a great character but and this like further shows like how brutal these humans are and how they just don't have like any value for life they're just like really power hungry and possibly even like war hungry it seems like because i'm shocked i'm like okay wickis is a south african citizen you know with some prominent family members even though his father-in-law totally throws him under the bus, he just becomes like a lab guinea pig used for experiments. And when he doesn't comply, they use an electric cattle prod on him. I'm like, this is clear human rights violations. And But that, but that shows you, because of his prawn hand, he is now treated the exact same way. Like They're like, okay, you're not really totally human anymore, so you don't have any more rights. Which is crazy i'm like oh my gosh yeah and as i was saying earlier when i said that like the humans are the aliens in this situation this is kind of what i meant is that usually back in like the like the 70s or uh the early 2000s when we had all these videos come out of ufos and things like that and there was a stigma that if you got abducted Mm. they would they would split you open and like dissect you and things like that this is what i mean this is very much a commentary on that is that we are the ones doing what we were afraid of that aliens would do. Um, and so I thought that was very interesting how the tide is so different. It's very much turned on its head where we're the ones who are dissecting these aliens and figuring out 
what exactly they're made of and how they work and things like that. And it makes a lot of sense because that's what we'd probably do if we were put in this situation. That's a really good point that I hadn't thought of. There is that like dissection scene or whatever where they're, they're yeah. the humans abducted and then it's just like, oh no, they did experiments on me. And it's like, oh wow, yeah, I guess that would make sense because then the humans are like, we're going to do all these experiments on an alien even if it is inhumane and where where does that line blur and apparently it's with wickus right. if he's just got a prawn hand if he's you know transmutation then they do it so it's really neat how the movie kind of flips that on its head and then it's also interesting too because then the news and the government turns everyone yeah. against wickus because they start like putting out all these lies on the news and things like that of him, like having of him being framed for his sexual acts with the aliens and, and things like that. People are starting to make fun of him and his humanity is just devalued to just nothing. Basically he's treated, I would even say less than the aliens are because the government wants him, wants him to be tested on. And it's very interesting. There, there was like two brief kind of like technical issues. I just want to discuss real quick. It's the use of the camera work and the style of the movie and also just briefly subtitles (laughs) but the first thing that i want to mention real quick that uh, i kind of have an issue with is this movie is supposed to be documentary style lots of interviews with experts and family members and the one expert that they cut to a lot he actually did the um uh whatever they call it for uh christopher johnson the mocap work or whatever it's called. So he was Christopher Johnson, which is pretty cool. That that main guy, I can't remember his name, but he's like the first one we see on the screen. Well, that's really conflicting because this isn't like a total found footage movie like Tin Cloverfield Lane or a full documentary. Right. So, but then sometimes the footage presented in the movie, it's supposed to kind of model the documentary style, but it's not like somebody with the camera is running after him. So that's very conflicting camera work and types of methods, you know, blending two different styles in a way that if you're not really paying attention, it works. But if you are, then you're like, well, this is pretty confusing because we're we're bouncing back and forth between actual documentary footage that was being filmed and then not being filmed by anybody. So it, it kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Yeah. Because then you have to suspend reality. You're like, wait, who's filming this right now? Oh, wait, nobody is. It's just, it just is, I guess. I don't know. That's kind of what I meant when I said earlier that uh, it kind of flips between yeah. the documentary and like a regular movie. That was kind of what I meant. So I, so we're on the same page on that one. I feel it very much the exact same way. Is that this movie? I think it does a pretty good job at leading you into, leading in from the documentary part to just the regular movie part. But at the same time, it doesn't dismiss the fact that it is kind of jarring that this flips back between those two. I thought the subtitles were interesting because we had subtitles for the aliens, which made sense. Some of the, I guess, Nigerians with really thick accents had subtitles. But then there was also times when we had subtitles where I felt like we didn't need subtitles. So I think they, because I'm like, wait, they're speaking in English. I can discern it. I really feel like it's not that hard to discern, but they're giving us subtitles nonetheless. So the the uses of subtitles I felt was inconsistent and 
it took me right. out of the movie it because it, i'm just sitting here I'm like why are they giving us subtitles i know what they're saying <laughs> my situation was actually kind of interesting because i watched this thing down off of your plex server and there were actually no subtitles oh wow yeah even after i turned mm. them on but i don't think it hindered my movie experience very much anyways because you didn't get subtitles with mm -hmm. the aliens but it felt realistic that way because you were having a conversation whenever the aliens were talking they were having a conversation with the ale with a human and then the human would just kind of talk back and you were able to just dis essentially discern what they were saying or the one scene that i was talking about that i mentioned earlier that i wanted to talk about when christopher and his son yeah. are talking and you get this really emotional moment you because he has this pamphlet for him and you and what exactly is happening and where they're moving him to and then they have like this moment where they're both just really sad and the son just does not want to go. And the father's like, I, I wish I could say, I wish you could say you didn't have to, you know, and not, all that is said without any words. And it's just the, just the mocap for the aliens. This is kind of where the CGI really shows that it's really well done is that you really get some good emotion out of these, out of these aliens. And luckily Wickus kind of came in and explained what exactly was going on. But for me, I would almost suggest not watching it with subtitles because it kind of makes you pay attention a bit more because the humans, when they're talking to somebody with the humans, they more or less show what they were talking about, which kind of almost removes the fact for the subtitles, but it does, I think it would help with the subtitles on to kind of show what the aliens are saying, because I had no idea. Luckily the script was written in such a way where you didn't yeah. really need them. So that was my thing is that even even though there weren't subtitles, I was still kind of able to discern what was going on in the scene. That's a really unique perspective because if you saw it in the theater and if you saw it like I did, then there were subtitles for all of that. There were subtitles for everything the aliens were saying to each other. So yeah, I'd probably recommend maybe watch it with subtitles first and then go back and watch it without subtitles so you can focus more on their interactions. Or maybe just don't watch it with those subtitles because that's actually a really cool perspective where you're focused more on, you know, their interactions and their feelings. And you kind of can understand their plight because you feel kind of desperate like they do. Uh, you're just kind of a stranger right. in a strange land like that. So that's pretty cool. You got that perspective with that. That's neat. I think we also should talk about this movie can be funny too. Yeah. I think there is some funny like unintentionally funny stuff and it normally always revolves around wickus because he's just this really doofy kind of guy like when he he says to the like little prawn kid he's like you went to sweetie you went to sweetie and then he like throws it over there and then the kid like chucks it back at his head yeah yeah and when wickus gets upset just things like that or uh wickus comes home for the surprise party and he's like i need to get to the toilet quickly i think i might have crapped in my pants <laughs> right there's just some dialogue which i think is just so funny like that right this op the opening too is kind of like you said when the when he throws the something at the kid and the kid just throws it right back that's kind of like world building right there where yeah. you see wickus interacting with these aliens and then they just kind of retaliate just because they're just used to that they've been there for over 20 years over two decades and yeah there's also that one scene when he's talking to one of the aliens and trying to evict him and the alien just like, just slaps his clipboard down and then then the guards kind of go after him. He's like, it's okay, it's okay. Slapping the clipboard, that means he signed it, you know. And yeah. they, they move on. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you're right. This movie can be very funny. Almost like unethical humor just because of how things are being treated. But they just kind of, the aliens just kind of revolt back to him too yeah. as well. 
That's true. Yeah, they're like, oh, this is what that means. They want cat food. Or, right. like, Wiccus will get, like, punched by an alien and go flying back into yeah. a urinal or something yeah. like that. <laughs> it's <laughs> exactly. just a rough day for him, but it's a little funny, the interactions in that way. Yeah. Um, but also, I thought it was weird when Wiccus is clearly really sick, but they're like, no, the party must go on, Wiccus. We got all these people here. I don't care if you're throwing up. You're going to have a good time until it ends with him, like, just spewing up black goo everywhere and, like, passing out. And they're like, yeah, guess we better take him to the hospital now. But he's clearly <laughs> yeah, sick. Like, I guess. I know. And he's just like, okay, I'll put on a potty hat and try my best. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, I wonder, this movie does kind of paint humanity in a very bad light. Because mm-hmm. that scene where they just kind of, they're kind of disregarding of what's really happening with Wiccas. And then his wife's father kind of throws him under the bus a little later with the, these few scenes. And yeah, there's definitely a devaluement of kind of life in general in this movie. Well, that That's very true. After we learn that Wiccas is kind of like beyond the point of coming back, we see his wife crying about it. And I felt her crying, I made a note, her crying is really bad and fake. Which scene is this? There's, I know there's two of them. Is this the first one you're talking about? Um, is that the one where uh, her dad is talking to her? They're like, oh, there's nothing they could do about the infection. And she's like, dad, I thought he was fine. I want Wiccas back. Well, that scene too. But there's one scene where Wiccas steals a guy's cell phone and then calls his wife. And she essentially says oh, yeah. that they're going to come after you and that she doesn't want him back or whatever. Yeah. And then, there, then there's a second scene when they're having a conversation and, and he's like, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to come back. We're, everything's going to return back to normal. So there, I know there's a couple of scenes with the wife crying. I did think that the second conversation was a bit better than the first one. I Because I got to see it more from Wiccas' perspective and I got more out of what he was doing. But I think I can see what, you're talk, what you mean when the crime was kind of fake. Yeah, this was when, I'm pretty sure it was when she was talking with just her dad about it. Okay. Uh, I was like, eh. Well, this is also a pretty good, uh, like a really long Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, you're right. That's a good, in- that's interesting, yeah. And I do want to like commend um, the guy who played Wiccas again. Um, I feel like he was really believable in his role. And we see his plight and pain and it's pretty sad, His like what happens to him and he does a good job as like a simple guy, but then just like everything he's going through, I was incredibly impressed with his acting. And oh yeah, I think it's a shame he was not nominated for best actor. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that he wasn't either. I could definitely see him being nominated for this role. Now there is also something interesting I also kind of wanted to touch on, and that's how focused this movie is as well, because yeah. This movie primarily focuses only on Wiccas, but we also have Christopher and his son uh, that need to get back to the ship as well. But primarily it's focused on just Wiccas and his situation that he has to go through. He has to face himself. And then we get that relationship when Christopher comes in the picture and they start talking and things like that. I thought that was really interesting. And that was what made the movie so much better for me is that it was very simple when it came to that kind of a thing where it was a drive for, for him to get from one from one place to another versus a lot of other movies that are produced by Hollywood. There's a very big picture, very epic kind of a feel to it. And you have a lot of different characters that are so important to the story. Whereas this one is just two. You essentially just two characters that both have a drive to get places. 
and Wicus wants to change, get, change himself back to a human, and Christopher wants to get back to the ship and escape. So I thought that was very interesting and very, very nice to have instead of having everything as the movie is just really, really bloated and have so, having so many characters that this movie just kind of focuses and phones it in on just a couple and the, and the relationship between them and how Wicus is able, how Wicus is forced to change in order for everything to work. Yeah, it's a really good character study, I would say. Yeah, and I do appreciate how they're able to maintain that uh, focus throughout the film, and it's nearly two-hour film. Yeah, and I think one of those powerful moments that really drives that home is when they're in their kind of underground bunker thing, which we don't know yet is the ship, uh, and the little uh, Christopher Johnson son is like holding his little. Uh, hand his arm up to Wickus's and he like looks back and forth between them and he's like we're the same you know and you wouldn't have gotten those subtitles uh, where yeah. it kind of like says something like that but you could tell when he's like holding it up I thought that was a really uh, powerful moment right yeah and that's also kind of going back to the scene I was talking about earlier when Christopher was talking with his son and and they have that short conversation where he's like, this is where we're going to go or whatever. I, I'm not entirely sure what the subtitles were, but he's showing them this is this is where we're going or where they want us to go. And his son just kind of pushes it away and says, I don't want to go there. I want to stay here. Yeah. And the, like I said, just I don't can explain it again, but that it's just a really, really interesting and heartfelt scene from computer creations. <laughs> It really is, yeah. Something I want to talk about with the writing, I feel the writing is overall very well done. I think there's one or two times where the writing's a little stupid. Yeah. Um, or they're like, tell me you've got a fix on him. And they're like, yeah, he's in District 9. Um, duh, that's a huge area. Um, yeah. Where? So, and also, I personally felt the usage of the F word got to be too excessive. It was just ridiculous at a certain point where it was just like, okay, I don't know. Yeah. That that just seemed too excessive. Uh, right, and for me, getting to the climax, everything up to the climax was fine, but then when we started hitting the climax, I felt like things started getting kind of cheesy, mm-hmm. and lines were kind of being spewed for line's sake, I guess. One of the big examples of this is like the guy who wants to kill Wickus. I don't exactly know his name, but he felt at times really, really cheesy. And there is even a moment, because his character is pretty shallow. He's not in the movie up until this point, really. And there's a, he's there's a moment. throughout. Yeah, but this, yeah. But he's, like, this is, like, his primary moment. Right. And there was one, also one character that looked exactly like him. Mm-hmm. And there was one scene when they were, like, literally side by side, and they looked the exact same, and I couldn't tell them apart. And I was just like, who is talking? Because it was they look look so similar. But yeah, this this guy, he's really, really can be very cheesy. And parts of me were parts of me were just like, ah, you know, I wish this wasn't in the film because we had done so good with writing up until this point. I feel like the movie is and I get it, this movie is just kinda of going for just and now it's just having a lot of fun. And there's nothing wrong with that, but at the same time, I wish we kind of would have kept up that writing where it wasn't so cheesy and was kind of pulling me out. This is my one of my bigger issues with it. Sure, that was kind of a weird area. We're focusing on uh, Wickus and the prawns, but also the relationship with the government. But then there also is kind of this side subplot with the kind of Nigerian criminals that live in District Nine. 
Yeah. Uh, these gangsters, and they're kind of alluded to in the beginning. It was kind of a funny scene where he's like, that is the gangster. Don't look at him. Just don't look. Keep walking. Keep walking. I'm like, yeah, that's right. kind of real life with certain things. Like, don't look. Just keep walking. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, and he wants to eat the hands, and he thinks if they eat it, it'll give him special powers. Not really sure that is very necessary yeah. to the movie. It just seems kind of erroneous, a little excessive. Some of that fat could have been trimmed from the storyline instead of kind of putting it in as much as it is. So I see what you're. I see what you mean. I understand the point of the Nigerians being in the story, but I think yeah, I think they took it a step too far with them eating the aliens and things like that. But at the same time, if it were anybody but the Nigerians, I feel like that would have made a bit more sense that there's this kind of cultist group that think that they can become one with the aliens or something like that if they ingest them. In that sense, it makes it makes a lot more sense. But having the name of Nigerians on them, I can see why they blocked this movie <laughs> in, that, in that country. Yeah. Uh, something else I felt was during some of these action scenes, because we're drawing closer to the climax, uh, which is pretty long, actually. Yeah. Um, I would say the climax goes from when they break into M&U to get that vial to pretty much the end. Yeah. And that's like it half does. an hour long. It's, it's a long ending scene. And I mean, if you're watching it just for like an action, like just have fun, it, it is a lot of fun. But I know for me personally, I, it got to the point where I was just like, okay, okay, yeah. you just keep moving, you know, move right. on with the story. Well, okay. I didn't have a problem when they broke into M&U. I thought that was actually yeah. really good and pretty cool how they were taking the fight to them. But I was fine with that. And I was actually, my heart was pounding a little bit when they're uh, ch being chased out of I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then we learn that um, Christopher Johnson's not going to come back for three years, which is pretty shocking. Yeah. And then this is where we get the ending fight. And uh, the honestly, there's that General Corbus or Globus or whatever his name is. I felt he was pretty one-dimensional and generic. Yeah. And... Granted, I was very tired the day I watched it. It had been a very long day at school and work. So I dozed a little bit kind of in the beginning of this really long climactic fight scene. So I was dozing, but I, I really feel like I, I didn't miss too much. But the problem with dozing during um, like fight scenes, especially like long climaxes, is it feels like they're extra long because you like lose all sense of time. So you're just like, oh my gosh. How long have I been asleep? And you wake up, you're like, oh, man, it's still right. going on. <laughs> right. But anyway, regardless, I thought it was cool how the little kid was controlling that mech suit to fight. And then Wickus got into it. And it just yeah. shows you like it just but it also shows you because he's willing to sacrifice himself that it's not like, hey, I want you to save me. He's like, OK, go back. I don't get to go in the ship with you. Go back. I'm going to stay here and pretty much fight to the death. Um, and it's shocking that he doesn't die, honestly. I'm going to fight to the right. death so you can go, go back and then come back and save. So really cool character arc. But this action scene is just way too long. It, it really is. And I think one of my bigger issues with this climax, too, is that there's a lot of tonal shifts in this movie. And, and I think that kind of hindered my enjoyment of this ending is that there were times where it's like really, really action packed and things are going great. And then all of a sudden it kind of just stops and slows down into like this emotional moment. 
and then picks back up again and keeps going again. And this happens like three or four times in this climax. Like if it was just one or one or two times, I would understand that. But like three times, that's I feel like that's like pushing it a bit too far to to really that kind of segments the uh, the climax for me. And I do agree with you. This ending action scene kind of goes on a longer than it probably should have. It's enjoyable, but I feel like it could have chopped off a few minutes that make it flow a bit better. And that's one thing I also kind of wanted to mention earlier is that the pacing of this movie is actually really, really good. Yeah. Because it, I didn't feel like it was a, almost a two-hour movie. I felt like it was maybe like 45-ish minutes just because this movie's paced so quick and does a really good job of moving along. But yeah, this ending action scene, it could have been cut down, I think. It's a bit, a bit much. And I started getting kind of a little bit overwhelmed about this point because there is a lot of action happening on the screen and I was just kind of wanted to slow down for a little bit and then when it did slow down it was it felt really awkward and yeah sure I 100% agree with that and honestly yeah. just the year before Rambo came out uh listeners go back and listen to our podcast it's just called Rambo from 2008 this felt almost a little bit like that where all it is is just you know, shooting big guns and blowing up bodies. So, yeah. and I noticed, uh, I read some of Roger, Roger Ebert's review for this movie when it came out. And he said the movie was like really unique, uh, throughout the whole thing, but the climax was pretty much devolved into a generic shoot 'em up, uh, action movie. Yeah. Whereas that's really not yeah. what this movie is about. This movie's really not an action movie, but then at the end, it's just, you know, blowing everybody up and lots of gunfire and shooting and it just goes on too long and like you said it it does uh, change the tone of the movie right uh, the one thing i did think was two things i thought were cool when that car charges wickus in the mech suit and he just like picks it up and flips it and he yeah. kind of goes down with it too i'm like that was awesome that and, was really cool. I wrote that. I wrote that down in my notes. I was like, "That's that's pretty sick." <laughs> yeah, and this and the CGI looked really good too. Yeah, it did. It. Uh, also, when Globus has the rocket launcher and he's going to shoot the ship that's coming up out of there, and okay, but before I mention that, I was shocked when the ship got shot down. I'm like, "Holy cow! How are they going to get back?" I, I was like, "Maybe this movie is not a happy ending," and they don't. But it was cool. There's like this tractor beam that pulled them up, and it's like slowly pulling them up. Globus shoots that missile and Wix just just catches it like that. Yeah, like, that's really cool. Yeah, there are, and I'll say this too: as as long as this action scene is, it's not that it's not enjoyable. It's really good action. It's not like boring action. It's really good stuff. Uh, like we have especially small bits in here that we were just that you just mentioned with them catching the rocket or flipping that car over. It's, it's super cool stuff uh, at times. And yeah, I totally agree. This movie is, is, there are a few things in this climax that are super cool. And after it's over, we see Wickus in, Wickus out of the suit and we see his eye and the rest of his body. I'm like, whoa, that, it's really well done with the makeup, but that eye is just so creepy, that transformation. Right. And uh, I, I really was like, okay, Wickus is going to die. He's not going to get out of it. But then the rest of the prawns attack. Uh, so it's it's a bit of a duex machina mm -hmm. uh, moment. I I think I I'm thinking I'm using that term rightly, correctly. Yeah, yeah. I can see. I think I understand why it's here though. Is that Wickus essentially helped Christopher and his son make it to the ship, and he protected them. Like right. he fought for them, and like was willing to give up his life 
just so they could escape. And so then that kind of makes sense in my, at least from what I see when the, when the rest of the aliens attack, uh, attack the guy and just rip him to shreds basically. And so it makes a lot of sense. I think it kind of a deus ex machina. I can see why people would think that, but in my mind, it made a lot of sense because Wiccas is becoming one of them at this moment in time. And, and now that he's helped him out, they're, they've essentially accepted him for who he is and protected him as well. Kind of goes to show that the aliens aren't, are not made of stone, essentially. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And it does make sense why that would happen. But the only thing was, is I was like, okay, it seemed nearly impossible that Wiccas would live. But since all the other ones, all the other people are taking out except the kind of the big bad Globus or whatever guy. Yeah. And then he was ripped to shreds, which uh, is kind of cliche, though, because we've seen that in a lot of movies where the bad guy at the end is like, wait, wait, no, no, no. And then they all attack him and rip him to shreds. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you're right. And I think Roger Ebert was pretty correct in this in, in this when he said that this movie kind of turns into a generic action movie. It kind of does. But yeah. It's satisfy. It's kind of satisfying, but it would be more satisfying if he was incorporated into the story more, because there are two villains in this movie, and it's Wiccas himself, and then this guy who kind of replaces that towards the end. So yeah, I think it would have worked better if he was incorporated deeper into the story. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and the movie kind of does have a very interesting ending where yeah. it's told like a true story, where they're like currently district 10 houses 2.5 million prawns so it's grown it's massively grown and it's it's just a massive thing right uh currently this is what happened wiccas is supposedly dead and just like that's the exact style of a true story type of movie where they always give you updates of the characters or situations right. at the end right it's a, it's very much like unbreakable from Shyamalan. i haven't seen it Yet. it's i would recommend it. it's a good one interesting so and then but it is given on a a note of hope the wife it's not like she's it's not like wiccas is dead to her totally because of the yeah. flower and i really love the ending shot where uh we see the prawn making a flower and that is wiccas that has to be wiccas they're not officially saying if it's him um but we're, they're pretty much alluding to that i'm like ah. Oh. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I do love this ending, this last shot too. I think it ended just right with that, with this alien making the metal flower for his wife that we saw just a scene earlier and and things like that. And yeah, it's it's kind of heartfelt this ending where he, even though uh, Wiccas is an alien now, he still has you know those feelings and stuff. Yes, he does. So before we give our rating recommendation. I just wanted to briefly mention that there is still a possibility there could be a sequel to District 9. Uh, pretty much as soon as it was released, Neil Blomkamp said, uh, if the movie does well, I'd like to make a sequel. Uh, then he grew in popularity, and he's like, I've got another idea that will be outside of that universe. Clearly, a couple years later, we got Elysium, and... Then we got Chappie after that. So he hasn't, it's been oh, like seven years pretty much um, since District 9 came out. We still haven't got a sequel. There's also 
a possibility that he would make a prequel. He said that in 2010. Uh, in 2013, he's like, I really, really do want to do a sequel to District 9. But I've got so many different ideas in my head that I just am so busy with just coming up with brand new ideas that uh, I don't I don't have time to do that as basically what he said. So he does as of right now, he does say he still wants to do District 10. So it's a possibility that could happen. And it's maybe even more of a possibility now that uh, his plans for an alien sequel have fallen through supposedly we'll talk about more of that uh in a later podcast um but yeah so it's possible listeners that this we could be doing district 10 and honestly i would love to see district 10 yeah i would too i would kind of want to see where he's going to take this because this this is an interesting story and so, I, yeah, I'm kind of interested to see where if he were to come back to that eventually. I'm sure he would. I'm really interested to see where he would take it next. So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation and your final thoughts for District 9? District 9 is very interesting. And I mean that in a very good way, too, because it's very original in its ideas and its ideas that it's presenting. And it's also a very interesting commentary on how I would say not only how humans react to different things, but at the same time, the ethics of of that situation that, the, that they're put into. I mentioned earlier that the aliens in District 9 are very human-like, and, and I think that that's very much on purpose. Um, I know that usually we, when we make aliens, we make them more human-like because that's what we're just used to. There's a whole thing in, um, in artwork where artwork comes from something else. There's never really a truly original idea. There's always something that is influenced that. And I think that that's very much true for this, but at the same time, it's very much on purpose because the aliens look a lot like humans. And that makes it a very interesting story. And I wrote in my notes that it's it's kind of like a con- the conflict and representation of how the upper middle class slash the 1% view those that live those that are in the classes under them and in how the aliens are put into slums and everything like that. But the everybody else, like the government officials are living in the suburbs and, and in a very much better environment. So it's, it's interesting. It's, it's also got some really interesting lessons, small lessons like bullying or government control. Um, and I even wrote down it, I, it reminded me of the, Native Indian reservations that began happening. And when we pushed out the native residents, when we had the Louisiana Purchase. Oh, yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. And like Manifest Destiny and things like that. It's a little bit different in this one because we've already taken it over and we just allowed them to be there. But now we kind of want to move them out. But I think that that's worth mentioning is with yeah. that Louisiana Purchase and how we ended up moving those in the natives that were in the area and move them out and now we have reservations for them but at the same time well and we even pushed them out of those but now yeah. they're finally settled into these but yeah they've always never been given a fair shake with any yeah exactly exactly and that's that's exactly what i mean too so yeah it's it's i think we also does a really good job at differentiating between the aliens and the humans but then finding that gap and filling it in filling it in with the gray stuff which is wickus himself 
And like I mentioned earlier, the technology, how the humans are very much in the present time, whereas the aliens are have their own technology for their time. And it's shown off very, very, I think, very well, not in a way that, like, I know we keep bringing this movie up, but Ghost in the Shell, how that kind of shows off all everything that it has. But this movie doesn't really do that because it's it feels as if it feels authentic that they would have that kind of stuff. And a few criticisms that I have is that I wish we could have explored the world a bit more. It's I know that it's very centered in its characters and it's meant to be that way. But I wish we kind of moved on and did a few more things in different places to kind of give a better sense of District 9 and its location. It's very visually interesting and realistic, and I I praise it for that because there's no other movie at the time this came out that was like it, other than maybe, like I said, Mad Max, or I can see some of Blade Runner in there. I also found some of the editing to be kind of choppy at times when they were trying to move really, really quick on, on a thing, and then they kind of chopped it up, and it felt kind of awkward. And, of course, then there were cheesy scenes that I mentioned earlier that also kind of kind of pulled me out of the, out of the story. But overall, it was it's really enjoyable. District 9 is great, and... For me personally, I think I'll give it an 8 out of 10. And it's a pretty solid recommend. It's a movie that... It's one of those movies that you can really think about and kind of get yourself into the story and learn something from it. Or you can just watch it just to have some fun and and watch a movie about a really interesting situation. It's one of those that does a really good job at kind of having both of those that you can do. So yeah, it's a solid recommend. 8 out of 10. District 9, I was pleasantly surprised with District 9 because... The story and world is so well crafted and the kind of the moral of the story is really well done without uh, hitting you over the head or spoon spoon, spoon feeding it to you. (laughs) I was incredibly impressed with the acting and the pace was very well done and I overall I just really enjoyed District 9, strong directorial debut for Neil Blomkamp and oh, yeah. uh, writing as well. My issues were um, some of the stylistic choices, some of the editing choices, the climax also. There really isn't a whole lot of issues with this movie, but also I do think, and maybe this, maybe they could do this more in a sequel, uh, kind of explore the world a little more like you were saying um, I do think for what we're what we're giving, it's under two hours. I do think that exploration is pretty well done for under two hours. But the climax, you know, took up nearly half an hour of that runtime. Yeah. So that really kind of uh, kind of changed the tone from an exploratory kind of drama on social issues and the individual and character and the other kind of changed the tone into kind of a full-on action film uh so those are pretty much my issues with it but overall it's a really solid movie so it's a solid recommend and i'm also giving it a eight out of ten i think that's that's right where that rating right where it deserves and it's funny because that's what imdb gives it and yeah. i gave it an eight before i knew that about imdb i don't think this movie could ever go higher than an eight um, just because, yeah, it's lacking some of those deeper connections, I think, where we're yeah. really close to those connections, but we kind of lose sight of them at some points. Um, but it's it's definitely eight. It is a strong beginning for the Neil Blomkamp retrospective series. I'm really eager to see what Neil Blomkamp has to do 
uh, in the next couple of years. Speaking from District from the District Nine, like in two thousand nine, like yeah, this definitely put him on the map. Makes me excited to see what his other films has to offer, what kind of world building he does with those. And yeah, he's still working. So I'm really excited to see what he has. He's got a project that comes out. Well, actually, I think the movie comes out next year. Oh, wow. It's called Raka or something like that. And it's based off a short film that I did see, which was awesome. Yeah, I heard that one was really, really good. I've been meaning to watch it. Yes. And we will touch more on that probably in the the so far the final installment of yeah. the retrospective series before we come back and review his new film for next year but thank you so much listeners for uh joining us on embarking with us i should say on our first installment of our neil blomkamp retrospective series i think he deserves a little more credit than he gets he was a big name and i think he's kind of uh, his name's been kind of tarnished a little bit. We'll talk about that, though, with the next ones. But I do think his creativity it deserves to be recognized in a Hollywood of a lot of cliches and blow-em-up action movies. Uh, this movie yeah. was very impressive. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting, too, because this movie is not just a meaningless film. It actually has something behind it. I mean, I noticed I said this is good Hollywood right here. And I think that that's a really good way of, if I were to explain this movie in a sentence, it would be good Hollywood. And I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. I think what this movie would be interesting too is that they did an epic on this movie of like made the movie like four or three, four hours long, just following Wickus and what we could explore the world a bit more, you know? I do think that would be interesting. I think it couldn't like take place over like that like three day period though because the movie made it pretty clear that this whole movie takes place a little over 72 hours yeah i think we would need to follow wickus's journey yeah when he is fully realized as a prawn at the end but then when christopher johnson comes back and then that could be more of a story yeah yeah i could exactly i could definitely follow that as an epic probably but what we're given right now i think it's it's kind of really nice as a self-contained story just as it is yeah definitely listeners make sure to uh, subscribe to this podcast so you can subscribe on uh, itunes and other podcast aggregators uh it's we recommend subscribing on podbean because you get a lot more features that way you get our podcast artwork and a lot of other nicer options with that uh, make sure to subscribe through social media or even email we get a, we send out a weekly newsletter for you to make sure you stay up to date on everything that we do we don't want you to miss anything and make sure to join us next week because next week we will be discussing elysium and for further reviews make sure to check the schedule on the website that's silverscreenguide.wordpress.com go to movies you'll see a a coming soon uh, tab make sure to click on that you'll get the schedule for the rest of the year and fairly soon we we are in the works right now of discussing a schedule for 2018 so that will be up on the website soon but as of right now we've got plenty of reviews to take up your time through the end of this year and we've got plenty of uh, back material also so make sure to go through the archives we've got hours and hours of of podcast from different genres and we have discussions of different kinds so plenty of content out there Uh, We really want to thank you for your listenership and for subscribing, and we look forward to discussing Elysium with you next time.
I blot, blot, Blancamp, blot. <laughs> I bought.